we saw a huge conversion uplift from what a PQL would convert at and what an MQL would convert at. So when people actually used a product and extracted some amount of value and that's the close rate of those people into customers was so, so much higher than someone who had downloaded the content and then you know qualified themselves through a free trial or a demo. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Confessions of a B2B Marketer podcast. My name is Tom Hunt and today we are bringing on a very special guest. We're bringing on Kieran Flanagan of HubSpot to talk all about freemium. What that means, how HubSpot have done that with now all of their products and how you could potentially do that And the reason I wanted to bring Kieran on is because we are going through this process with Bcast. Right now, we have a 14-day free trial. We're considering freemium, and we're also considering a paid freemium. Now, if you saw the videos case study that I released a few weeks back, videos are a video editing software for those animations at the start and end of videos that you see. Now, they have what's called a paid freemium where you can pay to get essentially lifetime access to their product, but then you are moved into an upsell for a monthly subscription. And this is working incredibly well for them. In May, they were spending about $80,000 per day on paid spend and making about $30,000 from that in profit on the front end. So they drive traffic to a sales page where they sell that lifetime access for $69. But then the kind of kicker here is that 25 to 30% are then being upsold onto that monthly subscription, which is $39 per month. And actually in May, they had a, they smashed their monthly record and brought in $3 million just in the month of May. So that's another option we're looking at. And I think is super, super interesting in order to try and break even on the front end and then upsell into that subscription on the back end. Obviously, Kieran, he has experience at Marketo, Salesforce, was part of the HubSpot team that introduced Freemium now for all of their three products. So we have the sales, we have marketing, and we have their CS software. And so we dig deeper into how that's working, how they did that, and more importantly, how you could consider doing that for yourself. So let's bring Kieran onto the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to talk Freemium. When you did join HubSpot around six years ago, what was the structure of the marketing team and where did you fit in when you joined? Yeah, so when I joined HubSpot, the I was the first marketer hired outside of our Cambridge office. So HubSpot is headquartered in Boston and I joined in a small group of people. I think there were between 12 and 20 of us initially that joined uh, to basically open up the European headquarters or the international headquarters, which is based in Dublin, lucky for me. And our real, our mission was to kind of grow out the international business. And so what we did was, you know, over the course of the next two to three years, while I was still uh, with that business or with that side of the business, we grew the European business. We opened up offices in, in Sydney, opened up offices in Japan, opened up Berlin office. So we scaled pretty rapidly. And so the structure of the marketing team at the time I actually can't recall <laughs> the core team was structured. Like we had a team that worked on the inbound elements, which was content and campaigns. And then we had a team that worked on nurturing and the marketing automation part. And then we had an ops team. And then we had a, a brand team as well that worked on awareness and 
in terms of what I did, I tried to create a smaller version of that team that could do those things for the international markets. And we can talk, maybe get into team structure and how companies grow. They change. I think they go from a decentralized to a centralized model. That's kind of what we've done with our team structure. And actually, if, you're, if you've just seen the news that Uber have laid off about a third of their workforce, and that's they're going through this similar type of journey where they've they decentralized their marketing team to get a lot of scale internationally. And now they're figuring out that they actually can centralize that. And that's kind of similar to what we have done over the years that we decentralized to get international growth. And now we're actually, we've centralized a lot of those elements again. Interesting. So as you grew, you built out those functions in the different countries, but then have now in the process of sucking them back in. Yeah, exactly. We, when I was growing international, because of the size we were at, we, and because how rapidly we wanted to grow, we kind of created all of these like decentralized teams who could own their own growth within those markets. And over time, what we noticed was actually we could get better leverage when we got established through centralizing things by domain expertise. So a good example is like we have, instead of having like a search team for the States and a search team for all of these other places, we have one central SEO team who has full language capabilities. We have one paid advertising team who has full language capabilities. And so there's this like access you get to when you scale internationally in terms of uh, domain expertise versus local expertise. And if the domain expertise is more important than the local expertise, you're better off having a centralized team for that thing. And there's just some things where you need local expertise, which is a lot of like events and things like that where you need to be on the ground. Got it. And when you did join, could you get any of HuffPuff product for free? No, when I joined, we were we weren't a typical B two B company. Like we had a typical B two B go to market, which is you acquire leads, you qualify those leads through marketing and automation, and then you send them to sales team, and you know good things happen and, hope, and customers buy. We were not typical because we were generating so much demand through content and inbound, and that was pretty much um, unusual in the B two B space. It's more, you know, it's kind of like standard standard practice now to do that. And so we were generating a, a, a lot of demand, but you couldn't get any of our products for free. Our first free product was our free CRM, which was just at the end of 2015. And we really started to market free products from 2016 onwards. And why, why shift the strategy to allow for that? Yeah, like I'll, I'm sure there's many versions of this. Like when you're in a company that's growing that rapidly, there's probably different different reasons to make that. There's different reasons these decisions have made, right? And I think one of the reasons you make a a call to go freemium is it's a really good disruptor model. So if you're in a saturated space that and people already are using a product that you're kind of releasing, and you have to kind of grow into the product. So the first product you release, you know, may not be on a par with every single competitor, and you need some time to build in the features and to build parity with competitors, and then hopefully build some additional features that people like you better the competitors. Well, a good way to gain some early traction is really to adopt freemium. It kind of disrupts that market. If every other kind of, if the traditional go-to-market is like not freemium, it's a different type of uh, go-to-market. And then another reason is because when you start to pull pull forward, like big, large B2B companies who are trying to scale rapidly, and if you have a typical B2B funnel, then you're always kind of dependent upon humans, right? You have to have humans who create the demand, humans who qualify and, and sell into the demand. Whereas if you can try to push more of that into engineering and get the product to do some of the acquisition and get the product to do some of the qualification and to qualify, allow people to have value in your product before you actually try to sell them something, 
you can probably scale more rapidly without being so reliant on people. I think that is a good thing for most companies. Got it. So we can attack a market if other people are not offering free products, but also you can scale faster because you need less humans to actually give the value. Exactly. Yeah. You should, well, you, you can scale faster because people can qualify themselves in. So when we look at, when we had this kind of set up in 2016, when I went from international business to join the freemium business, we, the freemium business in HubSpot, which I think was a really smart thing that the leadership team did was that was treated like a separate company within HubSpot. So they had their, we had our own marketing and growth team, sales team, engineering teams, and we were not part of the core company. Like we had our own whole other world that like the other company we didn't touch. And they did that so they could incubate that. They could incubate us and allow us not to be, you know, allow us to make decisions in terms of uh, let us make the decisions that we would make and not be beholden to a company that was already established. Right. And so you could actually go and do the things you wanted to do. And I think that was really smart in 2016. And so, yeah, I think that when we started to scale and qualify people and see people qualifying themselves within the product and generating PQLs, product qualified leads, we can go into that. We saw a huge conversion uplift from what a PQL would convert at and what an MQL would convert at. So when people actually used a product and extracted some amount of value, and that's the close rate of those people into customers was so, so much higher than someone who had downloaded the content and then you know qualified themselves through a free trial or a demo. It totally makes sense. And also the cost for delivering that value, ebook versus product qualified lead, is about the same, right? Someone downloading an ebook versus someone adopting the product, there's no extra human touch in either of those. And you're saying that these PQRs were much better quality because someone's actually using the thing or gaining value from the thing. Yeah. So it's like across the board, it's the, the cost, the, how you compare those two things kind of will differ depending on the space you're in because an ebook, I could go, if I'm in a certain space where I could create an ebook and there's search demand around topics that I can acquire demand for, Maybe that cost me less than the only people who would come in and start using my product for free I could acquire through paid. So it kind of depends what your marketing channel fit is for each of those things. If I can acquire people organically into my product, then that probably is like cost efficient. If I have to pay for those people to come in to use my product, then there's some like math you have to do. But generally, it is cost efficient if you have a pretty good freemium model that has good user on board and good activation rates. And then uh, a nice way to like, uh, PQL someone or let someone go through touchless. That should be an efficient model, but definitely one like one million percent not suitable for every business. And I think that's the thing that every business has its own unique go-to-market fit. And the thing you can't do is fit your go-to-market to your consumers. So you can't say, "I want this go-to-market for my consumers." You have to fit your consumer behavior into your go-to-market. And the thing I see companies maybe doing is like reading posts and saying, oh, well, we should do freemium. And that's the wrong way about it, right? You can't, I think it's the other way around. Yeah. And but how did you guys know that that was a fit for your consumers? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, I think part of it is you kind of gamble a little bit, right? I think that we know that our, uh, we know consumers within that space are definitely tech savvy. So when you talk to our customers, like over the years, our customers, and we've we done our personas to account for this, have become a lot more tech savvy and a lot more accustomed to using freemium tools. And so when we would redo our personas, we could see there was a real shift in how 
um, comfortable our persona was with, with using software. And we could see that they like to use software for free and play around with it themselves. And if you think about like HubSpot's inbound marketing methodology and why I think we got a lot of traction pre when I was ever there. So I take no credit from it, from it, but like the core, the core thing was, Hey, consumers do not want to be hounded by people, giving them the information. They want to be able to go seek out the information online about your company and they want to be able to interact with you when they want to interact with you. Well, if you pull that forward, the most logical next step is they want to use your software. They want to get some value from it. They want it to see if it fulfills their needs. And then they want to talk to you. So the freemium model for us is just an extension of inbound and allowing people to interact with them, interact with our software however they want to. So some people can come and say, actually, I don't want to go through the freemium motion. I just want someone to actually walk me through this tell me if it's got these features and you know, tell me if it's going to fulfill my goals or I'm the type of person that I do want to do that. Use your software. I want to be in the product. And actually now you can live chat with someone in our product and you can say, Hey, how does this work? How does that work? And then you can reach out to a salesperson when you're comfortable. It does like the things you need it to do. Got it. And were you involved in that decision to go freemium or were you like pushing for it? How did that happen within the organization? No, I was not. Uh, so when I, I was, the story of that was, there's a kind of a, a story, story arc to that. So when I was in the international business and growing that, HubSpot had spun out a small like test team to test building a, uh, a small product that wasn't even branded as HubSpot to figure out some like things around freemium and how you could PQL. So the product was called Psychic and there was a great yeah, little I team remember. of like, Yes, I kick. And so there was a cool little team of like in- incredibly smart people, Brian Balfour, Christopher O'Donnell, Mike Peachy, uh, Mark Roberge, just like a collection of um, uh, superstars. And so they built out this kind of sidekick business and they, you know, they learned some things that didn't work and they learned some things that did work. And when we launched our free CRM, we then decided to take those learnings and adopt the things that did work and make them part of our freemium model. And I joined when we just had decided to do that. So when the kind of psychic team were disbanding and they were kind of handing over the things that they had learned to us so we could kind of integrate them into our own freemium model. Got it. So psychic was, psychic didn't turn into the free theorem. It was kind of an experiment where gained a lot of learnings that helped fuel the free theorem. Yeah, exactly. And the Psychic did turn in. We, we actually used some of Psychic and it, uh, some of the features that people love were in our sales acceleration tools, which were called HubSpot Sales. So you can sign up for HubSpot Sales for free and you can get the things that people loved in Psychic, like the free email notifications, the call templates, the email templates. And so we did port that over to be an account base. When they were working on it, it was just a Chrome extension. And so we, we ported it over so it lived within our app. And so I come in, I download the free theorem, I access free theorem, I'm working in it. At what point do I get engaged with sales, if ever? Like, how does that process work and what are you looking for before engaging? Yeah, I think there's like a, if you think about any B2B market, there's this like axis of like fit and interest. And so I'll give you like the utopia version of how it should work in HubSpot. But like the reality for every company is like, not every company is exactly where they want to be. But to give you a more simplistic version of how it should work, in that if there's fit or interest, and so if you are low fit, low interest, and you, and you are a high interest, low fit, then you're, we would want you to go through our touchless motion, right? So most B2B companies would love that if you can get the people who are uh, not a great fit for you, but have some amount of interest in your product, 
if they could go through a touchless motion, you know, the cost to you is so much lower. Their churn rate is going to be so much higher than unit economics to you is going to look really good. And then you have like high fit, high interest. And for that, what we what we um, actually rolled out was this thing called a user success coach. So for a very high interest, high fit accounts, within the product, you would have this user success coach and their gold with getting you to activate on the product because our activation metric correlates with better upgrades and retention. So they know if they can just get you using the product, you're going to, the propensity for you to buy is going to be pretty high. And then you have like low interest, uh, high fit. And for those people, we want you to go through the product onboarding. We want you to actually use the product. So over time, your actual interest will go up because you'll see it has the things that you want. And so that's typically how it works. And for you, if you go in there and you do those things, at some point, you'll raise your hand through a PQL motion. So you'll see a modal, you'll use some of the feature and you'll use up the amount of free stuff you can use within that feature and you'll want the paid feature. And you'll get this modal and you'll be able to book time. The really cool thing is you can like hit a button and book time with a rep right there and then through their calendar. So in the back end, what's happening is you're being round robin to a rep. You'll see a face. That's actually the rep you're going to speak to. You can book time and then you can actually go and uh, have that meeting with your rep. So if you see that whole experience, everything is on the user's terms. Everything is on the customer's terms. They pick and choose everything that happens within that narrative. And that's the way it should be. I love that graph and the way you've segmented that. Question though, judging fit and interest. Uh, fit, you can judge. I think there's onboarding questions, right? If you go through the process. That interest, how do you gauge that just by how much someone's using the product? Yeah, so fit can be, like, it, it can be different for many companies. Like it could be something as easy as um, company size, right? So like fit for us can be company size. Certain company sizes just aren't, are maybe a better fit than other companies. The other thing you can do when you're within the product, which is really cool is, um, so you have like fit is like more demographic information, like information about the company that could be industry, could be fit or company size. And then interest, the cool thing about freemium is when you have interest, you actually have real product engagement data to like figure out how engaged they are with the products. You can see if they're logging in each day, you can see if they're activating, looking at the contact record for our CRM, if they're closing deals. So there's like some cool things you can do to move people's interest up based upon how they interact with the product. Got it. So we have high fit, high interest, who we assign a user coach to try and get them to activate because they're the good ones. Uh, we have high interest, low fit, or down here, and low fit, low interest that we, they can just go through and use the product. Then we have yeah. high fit, low interest, who you want to go through onboarding so they can get more interest. So they Exactly. Can- yep. Got it. Awesome. Yeah, that's the best way to define every BDB model you can actually put on that. What I, what I love two by two, like graphs, like that's all we see in HubSpot is everyone just sends each other two by two graphs of everything. <laughs> but you can, you can put like fit everyone's business model on that chart. Hmm. Okay, so moving on, I know relatively recently part of the marketing product was made free, specifically email, emailing. Was there like, what was the rationale behind that and how much more? freemium products that we're going to be seeing from HubSpot. I know maybe you can't share too much. Yeah, uh, I can just tell you that every, we want every, we want you to be able to do most things in HubSpot for free um, to see if it's of value to you. The reason we released freemail that's been on the cards for a while. That team did an amazing job. It's a really cool product. I'm like, I know I'm biased, but that actually is a really cool product. It's because it's like, it goes hand in hand with CRM, right? We, really want our CRM to be a no-brainer for any small business to use. Like It's kind of like the IBM question, right? You, you would be stupid not to use HubSpot's free CRM. And it's getting to the point where that, that's true. Like We've added in free mail. No, there's really good limits on that our product. And so when, you, when we 
had the free CRM, one of the features that small businesses requested often was free mail. And so it was just like on the top of that podium. Uh, I, I've got that wrong, but the top of the uh, temple. And so it just made such sense for that feature to exist within the kind of free platform. It's like a feature that marketers, sales, customer success people who all use the free CRM always ask for. The other thing I love about it is like, if you think about the way marketing works, there's demand creation and demand extraction. And demand creation is like, you have to help people understand what your product is. You have to like create some awareness around it. You have to attach it to a problem because there's not really anyone like searching for it, or there's not anyone who kind of is looking for that thing right there and then. And there's demand extraction. And, and that's like, you can actually, there's existing demand in the market. It's like on Google searching for things. It's in these different platforms searching for things. And you can just extract that demand. And free mail is a really great uh, demand extraction tool for us because who isn't looking for like a great email tool. And so it's great for us in terms of like being able to get more distribution. And it's also great for us to be able to show and highlight the value of the free platform even more. Got it. So that was like low hanging fruit to try and capture all this massive demand for email. People looking for a free tool, they come in and they get exposed to everything else that you guys do. Yeah. And it's a, it's a tool that kind of helps you to see the value of all the other features. Because when you're using free, free email, then you're uh, usually reaching out to prospects. You're doing all of these different things. It gets gathered and stored within the CRM. So when you're using the free email tool, you can start to see the value of all these other tools. Even like we have a free forms tool. So you get free forms. Now you can do a kickback and a sequence to nurture those people. So you're starting to see the value of all the other features that can exist around having free email. So it actually helps you to understand the value of all of these other features and gives you other reasons to upgrade. That is awesome. Moving forward with HubSpot and the growth team, what are the core like priorities or focuses over the next couple of years? I think the thing that really focused on is the customer. And I know that sounds cheesy, but I think in a world where product is commoditized to some extent, if you think, if you pick any sector, you'll see just a crazy amount of competition. Um, if you think about, so that's like product is commoditized. Distribution is kind of commoditized, right? So like if I want to create a big company today, where do I go? I go to Google, social media platforms, and virality. Like, so it's not that, if there's nothing like this unique thing that exists that people are discovering that no one else is. Like that's where you grow because that's where people are. And so you have like more competition within those channels. Um, I think the thing that you can still win on is like customer experience. So the customer experience from the first point that you interact with someone to you become a customer and then you start to use the product on an ongoing basis. And like, my best example of this is like, do you, do you have, you live in England actually, so you may have, you may have a counter disc. Do you have, you, I assume you have broadband. You're not like the oh, one person yeah. that have broadband in tech. Yeah, 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 I think so. <laughs> so like, do you ever, like, have you ever signed up to a broadband company and only for like three months later for them to give away this amazing package, but it's not available to customers. And you're like, what? Yeah. Like I just signed up and, and you ring them up and you're like, no, that's not available. You're a customer. So it's like, you're, you're a customer. So fuck you. We don't care about you anymore. And that's the problem, right? That's the problem with most big companies. And so customer experience is like, you should feel in control of your experience with that company. You should control the narrative the whole way through your journey with that customer or the whole way through your journey with that, with that company. And I think that we are, we have like a pyramid that actually just drew it the last day, which is like, the top of the thing on the pyramid is customer experience. The next thing is revenue. It's not revenue, customer experience. It's, it's customer experience and revenue. And 
that's the thing that that's the lens through which we make most decisions. Hey, is, is it, is it good for the customer? Okay. It may give us, it may, we may take a hit in revenue in this, but actually if it's good for the customer, it's the right thing to do because that's the that's long term. That's how we win. Got it. And I'm actually really, really happy you said that because I saw your CEO speak at Drift uh, conference in London about a month back. And the thing he left with, I think the question from David Cancel was, if someone is starting a new business, what advice would you give them? And he said, focus on the customer experience because it's so easy now to replicate any features or any products, but it isn't so easy to build this beautiful journey for the customer. And so exactly. that's, that's super it's super good that you said that, right? <laughs> yeah, I love that, Brian. That's good. <laughs> uh, it wasn't a trick question. Let's quickly talk about your podcast. So Growth TLDR, tell everyone listening a little bit more about that. Yeah, so uh, Growth TLDR, uh, we just have discussions with interesting people within tech, uh, like CEOs, uh, marketing leaders, and we try to just make it a discussion. So we want to learn a little bit about them. We want to learn a little bit about their story and try to f- extract the things that have really helped them to be successful. And so like, a good example of, of like how varied the episodes are and why I love doing it is we had Justin Cannon, who is the, uh, yeah, he's this ex-founder of Twitch, partner of YC, just started Atrium. And we, we didn't talk about Twitch at all. And that's what people would generally want to talk about. Like it's $970 million deal. Why wouldn't you? We want to, we talk about wellness because I'm sure you've, I don't know if you've encountered this, but like we are in a, in a stressful industry and like just in general, most industries and the way the world works today is, is stressful. And Justin is very passionate about wellness and meditation. And I think that's why I love doing it is because like, when else would I, uh, a guy who sits in Dublin get to speak to someone like Justin can about wellness. And that's, that's why I love doing podcasts. So everybody now Google growth TLDR and check out the Justin Can episode. Kieran, that was an absolute masterclass on freemium PQL product stuff. Thank you so much for your time. Um, it's been really, really insightful. Cool. I really enjoyed it. Tom, thanks a lot. And again, thank you so much, Kieran, for coming on. Really, really insightful chat about how freemium have impacted HealthSpot's growth. Now, before we finish, I need to give a shout out to Stuart Hillhouse. Now, Stuart left a review for this podcast. He said, if you're into B2B marketing, you're in the right place. Tom is a great interviewer and knows what questions to get the guests to think. Thank you so much, Stuart. Stuart actually also has his own podcast. It's called Top of Mind. If you Google Stuart Hillhouse, Top of Mind, you will find it. It's another marketing podcast, which I highly recommend. If you have any feedback for us, please head to any podcast directory that you know, rate, review, be very honest, send me a screenshot or a link to the review afterwards and I'll get that read out for you on the show. So hopefully we can divert a bit of the SaaS market attention over to you. So with that, I just have one more thing to say. As always, thank you so much for listening.